0: Turn in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 17, and as you're turning, I want you to think with me about something. No doubt you have noticed this phenomenon. If you've been in church any length of time, you've probably taken note that there are some people who receive the Word of God and other people who reject it. There are some people who seem to hear from God, and other people who act as if God never speaks. There are some people who are always talking about what God says in His Word, and other people who seem not to even think about what God says in His Word, although they ought to know. Perhaps you've noticed this phenomenon and you've asked yourself the question, why is this so? By the way, if you haven't noticed, just start paying attention. It won't take long till you see that this is a reality. This is something that takes place. Acts chapter 17 describes this exact phenomenon taking place. We'll begin reading in verse number 10, and we're going to look at a group of people who heard the word of God in the city of Berea. Of course, we know that Paul had to leave the city of Thessalonica because of the uprising there and the threat against his life. And verse 10 of Acts 17 tells us, "...and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews." These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, They came thither also and stirred up the people, and then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to see, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed. It says something very interesting about these folks who lived in the city of Berea, and You've probably heard messages on this subject before or at the very least have seen this verse in your own reading of the Bible where it says that these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word. There is something noble about receiving the word. This is an interesting idea to receive the word has the idea that you are open to what God is saying. You are open to hearing from God. And there's a contrast that is made in verse 11 between the Jews that were in the synagogue in Berea and those who were in the synagogue in Thessalonica. And you may recall that in Thessalonica, there was a great movement of God, but it was primarily among Gentiles who heard and responded to the truth. But in Berea, when they came to the synagogue and began speaking about Jesus Christ, these individuals heard the truth and they were more noble in that they received the word. This morning, I'd like to talk to you about this idea of receiving the word. And this is exactly the difference that I was pointing out to you as I asked you to consider how is it that some people seem to be impacted by the word and other people, it seems to just go off their back like water off a duck's back in one ear and out the other. They, they seem to just disregard the truth. They can sit through messages and you say, well, what is going on with that? Well, I want you to focus on our responsibility to the word of God so that that does not happen. Because there is a danger in the Word of God, especially when you've heard the Word of God many times, and it is the danger that you dismiss the Word of God. That, That you come, for instance, to an assembly like this, and instead of engaging your mind and asking God what He has for you, you could go through the motions and leave the services and be unaffected. While someone next to you who comes with a spirit of anticipation, with a readiness of mind, with a, with a willingness to hear from God could be deeply affected by the same message. Two people sitting next to each other, one completely unaffected and the other deeply affected and it has everything to do with how you receive the word. Now, in this passage, it tells us something about these individuals in Berea and how they received the word. And I believe it's instructive for us and helps us to have an example before our, our minds and our eyes of how we ought to receive the word. Notice three things that it says about them in the way that they receive the word. First of all, in verse number 11, it tells us that they received the word with all readiness of mind. So they had a ready Mind, And that's an interesting phrase. It means this, that they had an eagerness or a zeal in hearing the word of God. It's the idea that Paul and Silas showed up there in the synagogue. And of course, we know that Paul had the credentials to be invited to speak to the congregation. And so as he's sitting there and he opens the Old Testament scriptures and begins to expound what he's reading... These individuals are sitting, as it were, on the edge of their seat. They're expecting to hear something, that that they want to hear something. They are eager to hear from God, willing to hear the truth. I want to say to you this morning that if you are going to receive the word, you must develop a ready mind. You must develop the habit of listening for God to speak. I was thinking about this. Consider how differently you hear in different circumstances. And I'll use children as an example because it's very apparent with children, but I think even we adults do this from time to time. Did you ever notice how if you said to your children, I want you to clean up the bathroom or you need to take out the garbage Or, could you please go and straighten your room? They seem to have fuzzy hearing. It's it's as if, huh? Did did you say something? Oh, I, I didn't hear you, dad. I didn't hear you, mom. Yet the very same children, if you whisper in the kitchen, ice cream is ready. They come from all corners of the house. They miraculously have their hearing restored. See, it's not an issue of them having too much earwax in their ear canals. The problem is we hear what we want to hear. And we tune out the things that we don't want to hear. And what it means when someone has a ready mind, it means that they want to hear from God. They're eager to hear the words of God. I think some of you probably on Thanksgiving Day were eagerly waiting for the call to the dinner table, eagerly waiting to come and partake of the meal that was prepared. And maybe that was a little different than how you heard the call to come and clean up the kitchen afterwards. You see, we tend to hear the things that we're listening for. Now, how wonderful it is when we find someone who has been seeking to know the Lord and they are eagerly hanging on every word as you speak to them about what God says. Isn't that wonderful? Have you ever met someone like that? And it's like when you come to them, they say to you, wait, stop. I've been looking for this. I was hoping that someone would come and answer my questions. Clear your calendar. I've got a lot of things to talk about. Boy, that's a wonderful experience. (laughs) Now, that's a lot different than trying to get someone's attention who's trying to get away from you. And you're trying to talk to them about the important things of God and they're looking at their phone and, "Uh, I got an appointment. I got to get out of here. They're kind of nervous. There's a big difference between the two. Now, if you think about yourself this morning, I want you to ask yourself, do I have a ready mind? Even when you come, as a Christian, when you come to the assembly, to, the, to this place, and the word of God is open, do you have a ready mind are you eager to hear from God? Do you anticipate that God is going to speak to you and that you're going to learn something that could be life-changing, that could build your relationship with God? Are you anticipating that God is going to speak? You know, it's easy to preach to people who are eagerly wanting to do whatever God is saying. It's a, that's an easy congregation to preach to. I, I have at times in my, in my ministry ministry, I've had the opportunity to speak to what we might call a tough crowd. Usually, these kinds of crowds are found at funerals or weddings. And you may be speaking to... Uh, or on behalf of maybe a family member who knows the Lord and says, Preacher, I need you to come and speak to my family about the gospel. But listen, they don't believe these things and and it's going to be hard. And when you get up to speak, you could see this is going to be hard. Remember distinctly one time when I was preaching a funeral and one guy towards the back looked at me in the eyes and he went like this. I got the message loud and clear. He didn't like what I was saying. I didn't stop speaking. But I don't think he got much out of it because he was upset about what I was speaking about. He didn't get a lot out of the message because he didn't want to hear. Now, think with me for just a moment about why it is that we're not always having a ready mind. There's a couple of reasons. I think one is that we tend to have a spirit of rebellion. Did you ever try to correct your children and they didn't want to be corrected and they kept trying to look away from you? So one of the things that we practice or try to practice in our home is that when we are correcting our children, we say to them, look me in the eye. But you know what happens when a child has a guilty conscience? Do they want to look you in the eye? No, that eye keeps wandering, and you have to keep saying, no, look me in the eye. We're talking about something very, look here, pay attention. Why? Because we have a spirit of rebellion that wants to pull away. Listen, the same thing happens between us and God. We have a spirit of rebellion that wants to look away, that doesn't want to uh, be held to account for the things that we've done. We don't want to hear the truth about our guilt before God. And so we're like the children of Israel. And the prophet Zechariah was told that the children of Israel refused to hearken They pulled away the shoulder. They stopped their ears that they should not hear. They made their heart as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent. Think about that. Do you know it's possible to sit in a congregation like this with a hard heart instead of with a willing mind? And one of the reasons that will happen is because you say, I want to do what I want to do. And I don't want to hear anything different. Preacher, you stay off my toes. You stay off my territory. Listen, our agreement is if you stay on your side and I stay on my side, we'll be fine. But doesn't the word of God have a tendency to cross the barrier into your territory? And God says, I'm putting my finger on something. But it's our heart of rebellion. That tends to turn away from God. It's not only our spirit of rebellion, but it's also our proud self-sufficiency. We have this idea, well, I don't need anybody to tell me. What. I, I've got it figured out. I can read the Bible for myself. I know what I'm doing. I'm going my own way. And we looked at this in Sunday school this morning. That is so dangerous to refuse reproof. to to turn away from correction, especially the correction of God that is administered with love and care. You ought to pay attention, but your pride will often cause you to say, I don't want anybody pointing out how I'm wrong. And so instead of having a ready mind, you have your mind made up. I'm not going to listen. Now, be honest. You've all done it. You've gone into an encounter or to a place where someone was going to be giving some sort of instruction, but you already made up your mind that you didn't agree. And how did you listen? You listened. This is how you listen, by the way, when you're having an argument with someone, too. You listen to find the holes in the other person's perspective. I'm going to find the things that, oh, I heard, ah, I got it, <laughs> oh, yes, okay, and you're just waiting. You're not, you stopped listening because you found three places where you could argue with them, and you can't wait for their mouth to stop so you can start talking. But what a shame when we listen to God that way. When we're just looking to do our own thing, we're going through the motions of, I read my Bible, I, I went to church, I heard the preacher, but actually you're Proud and self sufficient. This is a great danger. There's also a third thing that we have to watch out for, and this is complacent apathy. It's just this idea that, hey, listen, I don't really need anything. This happens when you've been a Christian for a while, and honestly, you figure I've got things in order in my life. There's not, I mean, what else am I going to learn? I've read through my Bible 30 times. Now in my Christian life, I, I, I've studied all the doctrines. I know everything. That, that young whippersnapper preacher, he's not got anything to share with me. I, nothing that I've ever not heard before. There's nothing for me to learn. And so we can become complacent. We can become apathetic, not really expecting or anticipating that God is going to speak. And when we do, there's no surprise that we could come to the house of God and Get nothing out of it. There's just nothing for us. But, But see, these folks in Berea were different. They had a ready mind. They weren't proud. They weren't rebellious. They weren't apathetic. They were anticipating what God had for them. And so their mind was ready. In other words, they had ears to hear. Jesus said this, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. If you have ears to hear this morning, please listen to God. They had a ready mind. You and I ought to have a ready mind. But notice the second thing that it says about them and how they received the word. They received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Now this is the balancing part of the ready mind. You see, we all ought to have an anticipation and an openness to God speaking. But this idea of searching the scriptures, and that's the second thought about how we ought to receive the word. Not only ought we to have a ready mind, but we ought to search the scriptures. And you'll notice that the reason they searched the scriptures was to find out whether these things were so. To search, as it's used in this passage, means to examine or to scrutinize. It means to judge whether something is right or wrong. It means to investigate or to look into. In other words, they wanted to know that the things they were hearing were true. So they searched daily in the scriptures. It does say that, doesn't it? They searched daily in the scriptures. They wanted to know if in fact what Paul and Silas was teaching was actually the truth. Now, I want to point out to you that this idea of searching the Scriptures doesn't mean that they had a critical spirit. It doesn't mean that they were looking to poke holes in the argument. But it does mean that they wanted to make sure that the things that were being taught were true by measuring those things from the Scriptures. This is one reason why I say often, and I'll remind you again today, It's a good idea when you come to the assembly for you to have a copy of the word of God and for you to turn to the passage that we're dealing with so that you can see for yourself the context, the words that are used in the verses. This is why it's important that you would have your own copy of the word of God so that you can see for yourself that the things that are being said are so or if something is said which is untrue, you could see it for yourself. You could say, oh, obviously that's not the word that's there. By the way, do preachers ever make errors? Of course they do. Preachers could be mistaken. In fact, you've probably, if you've been here any length of time, you've probably heard me say things in error. You've probably heard me say something. I, I know this is hard for you to imagine, but sometimes... I'm thinking of one word and some other word comes out of my mouth. I have no idea why it happens. Or I'm reading the text and I read the text completely wrong. And you're sitting there thinking, what's he doing? He missed a word. Or like sometimes happens, he's reading the wrong verse. He told us Acts 17 and he's reading somewhere else. I don't know where he's at. Boy, that's a, that's a nervous tension, isn't it? When the, when the pastor is reading the wrong text and everybody's waiting there for him. Listen, if I'm reading the wrong text, just say, uh, pastor. I usually figure it out pretty quick, but they searched the scriptures, whether those things were so. Now, this does not mean that they were looking for proof texts. You know what a proof text is? It's a passage of Scripture that gives you permission to do what you want to do. And many times people use the Bible like that. They they flip through the Bible or they do a quick concordance search and then they come across a verse and they say, Aha! I found one that tells me I can do what I want to do. That's not what they were doing. They were, rather than looking for proof texts, they were looking to understand in a full contextual way, what the Bible was teaching. Specifically, in this instance, they were seeking to understand what do the Old Testament scriptures have to say about Christ, the Messiah, and does Jesus match up to that like Paul is saying he does. They were trying to come to a conclusion about whether their faith should be in Jesus Christ, and they were measuring Jesus' According to the scriptures, you say, should we do that? Yes. Jesus himself said in John chapter five, search the scriptures for in them. ye think that ye have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. If you search the scriptures, you'll find that Jesus fulfills those scriptures. So this idea of searching the scriptures doesn't mean you're looking for a proof text. It doesn't mean you're just looking for something that will give you permission to do what you want to do. This idea of searching the scriptures also means that these individuals were not being led by their feelings or their circumstances, but rather by the word of God. I don't know if you've noticed this tendency that we have as human beings to trust our heart to follow our own inclinations, to to come up with reasons to do the things that we want to do. That is a very dangerous thing. We ought instead to let the word of God be our rule or our standard. We ought to come to the word of God and say, okay, what does it say? What does it mean? Are there some other verses which add to this understanding so that I can come to a full understanding of what God is communicating about this area of life. Now, the reason that it's important for you and I to do what these folks in Berea did and search the scriptures daily is because today, maybe more than ever, there is a proliferation of false teachers. In fact... It's to the point now where literally, I don't think I'm exaggerating, literally anything you want to believe, you can find someone who teaches that and you can say, I found a Bible teacher who backs up what I want to do. Because there are many false teachers, and the Bible warned us about this, by the way. It warned us that in the last days, Men will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And the implication in that passage is that they will be false teachers who will tell people things maybe that they want to hear or they'll condemn someone else's sin and by doing so make that person feel better. And so they like that teacher. But be careful. Be careful about where you're getting your teaching. There are so many teachers saying so many things that you could find yourself following a false teacher very easily. Be careful who you are listening to and who has access to your ears and your heart. Now, this morning, I would like to think that I'm teaching the truth, that I'm speaking that which is the the full counsel of God. I would like for you to listen to the teaching and preaching that is coming across the pulpit, the podium here at this church. I would like for that to be the case. I do want to warn you that there are other voices out there that disagree with the things that are taught here. So be careful. Be careful about who you're listening to and who has access to your heart. Now, I've also noticed that there's plenty of so-called new understandings that are out there. Whenever you hear a teacher say, I found something new! That ought to put your spiritual antenna up. Because, remember, there's nothing new under the sun. And second of all, this book's been around for a long time. So if somebody's teaching something new, just be skeptical of it. Just make sure. Now, To be fair, the teaching that Paul was giving in Berea was new to these individuals. They had not yet heard about Jesus Christ. They did not know that Jesus had come and that he was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. So if they had simply dismissed it because it was new, then they wouldn't have understood who Jesus was. So they had a ready mind, but they went to the scriptures and they compared to make sure that those things were so. Let me admonish you, compare to make sure that those things are so. If you're here today and you say, well, I've never been saved, but I'm really curious about whether the gospel is true, then search it out. Go to the scriptures and search it out. See for yourself. You say, well, I'm not sure where to start. Then come talk to me and I'll give you some places where you can start. I'll point you in a direction. See, listen, you need to seek. You need to have a ready mind, but make sure that your mind is being directed by the truth of God's word. All right, so we see that they had a ready mind. We see that they searched the scriptures, but then it says something very important in verse 12. And this is the third thing that denotes that they received the word. Therefore, many of them believed. Believed. The word that is used here in verse 12, believed, is found hundreds of times in our New Testament. It is the very essence of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's so synonymous with being a disciple or a follower of Christ that we are called believers that it is indicated that every person who is a follower of Christ is so because they have believed something. So notice, third of all, the, the, the way that they received the word was that they believed the word. And this is significant and important because so many people pride themselves on being skeptics that it's almost as if they don't believe anything. Now, the truth is they actually do believe something. You know what they believe? They believe in themselves as the ultimate arbiter of truth. They believe that they have the truth in themselves and that's good enough for them. So therefore, they can stand in judgment of all things. But we ought not to be critics of the truth. It's important that we come to a place where we believe the word. This is what it means to receive. Where we settle our minds and we say, this is where I'm standing. The word believe that is used here in verse number 12 means to be convinced or to be committed. It means to make a full commitment to something and to say that is exactly where I'm setting my feet. That's what I believe. Now... As we think about this, you know, the the first two things, having a ready mind and then searching the scriptures means that you're yet undecided. There's some things that you don't know. Can we all say this morning, there's some things we don't know. There's some things we haven't understood. There's some things we haven't yet discovered. That would be true of all of us. We've, We've not reached a full understanding of all things because we are not God. We're finite beings. So we still have things that we could learn. But there's, in our culture, there's this celebration of this attitude of never quite arriving at belief. It's this idea that, well, as long as you have an open mind, that's good enough. And listen, it's good to have an open mind. It's good to be inquiring concerning the truth. It's good to have your heart ready and open to hear from God but there comes a point where when you have seen the truth you need to commit to that which you have heard. Because you can only examine something for so long before you cross the line and become a critic and a skeptic. In other words, (laughs) what will you accept as proof? Have you ever heard that line of reasoning before? Someone says, I don't believe in God. Well, what would you accept as proof? Most people haven't really thought about that. Usually they're putting some kind of an unreasonable demand on God and expecting to receive something that God hasn't promised to give. Like, I don't know. I want to see a lightning show in my bedroom tonight, and then I'll know that God is real, or who knows what. Now... It's good to ask people, what would you accept as proof? Because it makes them stop and think. The truth is, many people do not believe in God because they do not want to believe in God. In other words, there is nothing that you could offer to them that would be proof that they would accept. Because instead of having a ready mind, they have already determined that they are not going to believe that. In other words... They like to portray themselves as having an open mind, but actually they have a closed mind. But when you are convinced of the truth, when you know that something is so, there comes a place where you ought to say, I do believe this. Think about what the scripture says. You could turn with me to a couple of verses, hold your place in Acts 17, and turn back with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll not be able to look at all the verses that deal with this subject of belief because as I mentioned to you, this is a comprehensive term that comes up hundreds of times in the New Testament. But 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 12 says this, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded... That he is able to keep that, which I have committed unto him against that day. Do you see the four definite terms which indicated that Paul had made a commitment? He had believed something. He said, I know. I have believed. I am persuaded. I have committed. In other words, he learned some things and then he came to the place where he said, that is True, I believe it. Yeah. Hebrews eleven six. You could turn over there real quickly. Look at Hebrews chapter eleven and verse number six. Another verse which talks about the importance of belief or faith. Hebrews chapter eleven verse six. By the way, in your English New Testament, those two words, believe and faith, are interchangeable for the most part with each other. They're the exact same meaning. They have the exact same idea. One is a noun and one is a verb or a verbal. But he says here in verse number 6, Hebrews chapter 11, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Understand that the reason many people can never quite come to a place where they have assurance of salvation is because they have not believed the promise of God. Look with me at Romans chapter 15. Look at the the beauty of this verse and this promise that is given. Romans chapter 15. It's really a prayer that the Apostle Paul was praying for the believers in the city of Rome. Look at Romans chapter 15, verse number 13. He says this. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. You see, he understood how important hope... By the way, that's a different kind of hope than we think of. That is an assurance. That is a confidence that something is so. So hope is very important for the human heart. Hope or confidence in something being true is critical to our faith. And the thing, and you can go back to Acts chapter 17, the thing that distinguished these folks in Berea was of course that they were open, they, they had a ready mind. And then when they heard these things about Christ, they went to the scriptures and they compared and they saw, okay, this is what Paul is saying, and this is what we've heard about Jesus Christ, and here's what the scripture says. But the thing that really set them apart was that they came to the place where they said, we believe it. We believe it. It's true. And it's so true that we are ready to stake our lives on this truth. Now, listen to me carefully this morning. It's good for you to have an open and ready mind. But that doesn't mean that you can't come to any conclusions. In fact, God wants you to come to conclusions. Our God is a reasonable God. He says, come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. He's given you good reasons to believe the things that he has promised. He's given you good reasons to believe in Christ. He's given you good reasons to believe that God exists. He's given you good reasons to, to, to believe that you ought to be preparing for eternity. He's given you good reasons to believe the Bible is true. But at some point, you have to decide whether you believe it. Now, listen, I could, I'm not going to do it, come down through the auditorium this morning and I could go row by row and point person after person and say, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? You see, this is an individual decision and it's so critical that you believe it. But the interesting thing is that you could have two people sitting right next to each other, and one person does not believe it, and one person does believe it. There is a commitment that must be made to the truth. Now, here's something that I want to encourage you with. Once you have believed the truth, in other words, you've received it with a ready mind, You've compared it to the scriptures and you've said, this is where I'm planting my feet. You don't really have to come back over and over and over again with an open, ready mind asking yourself, was I wrong? That's right. No, I, I mean, honestly, you believed it. Amen. It's true. So sometimes people will say, well, I have found some things that indicate that the Bible might not be true. Do you know how I answer them? You're wrong. I, I mean, oh, whoa, that's arrogant. L- listen, I've, I've looked at, I, I, I can't say I've looked at all the arguments, but I've looked at at least most of them. I, I, I've looked at the word of God. I am fully convinced that the word of God, that the Bible is God's word, that it is true. Amen. I'm fully convinced of that. You can argue with me and you can give me all kinds of reasons why you reject it. And I'm just going to say, I disagree with you. You are wrong. The Bible is true. Amen. Doesn't matter. You say, well, that means you have a closed mind. Well, so do you. You see? You see how that works? So there is a place where we have to come where we say, no, I'm standing on this truth. For me, as for me. And I trust for my house we will serve the Lord. Amen. We we've said this is our rule of faith and practice. We've examined it. We, we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe the gospel is true. We believe the Bible is God's word. We believe some things and we've committed ourselves to them. And this is the importance of a person who receives the word. They, they listen and they hear the truth, but then they come to a place where they say, that is going to be my truth. I believe that with all my heart. I want to challenge you with this thought today, this, this single thought. Have you set your feet upon the word of God? Has, has there come a place where there was a line drawn in the sand? And if you stay on this side, it means trust your heart, follow your judgment, do your thing. And if you step across that line, it means I'm committing myself to God's way. I'm committing myself to God's word. I'm I'm committing myself to God's son. I'm I'm giving my life to him. Have you stepped across that line? Have you made that decision so that you could say with the Apostle Paul today, I know whom I have believed. Listen, that kind of faith will carry you through this life. That kind of faith will carry you through the veil of death. That kind of faith will bring you to eternity, to the presence of your heavenly Father. That is the kind of faith that God wants us to have. But before you can commit to that kind of truth, you have to be willing to hear from God. You have to be ready to respond to Him and you have to be convinced that what has been said is the very truth of God. This morning I wonder how many of us are more noble than those of Thessalonica in that we are receiving the word.